one. Titus chapter one. I know this uh these last uh, this last generation coming through has got more pictures than my generation, that's for sure. When I was a kid, uh, all the pictures that we had were confined to a banana box that came out every once in a great while. <laughs> like, oh, you look like you're in pain in that picture. <laughs> uh, and the styles back in the '70s, they were just they were just ugly. <laughs> Why are you wearing checkered pants and a flannel shirt? It just <laughs> it's it's just not jiving. You know what I mean? Is it? Man, it was ugly then, it'll be ugly now. <laughs> All right. Meaner, why don't you ask a prayer for the teaching this morning? Amen. All right, we left off on verse four. By the way, Brian, there you go, just so you can see. 100 Jamaican bucks. All right. If you want a loan, see Brian. <laughs> Bible says here in Titus chapter 1, verse 4, uh, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse 5, for this cause left I thee in Crete, Thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. That's a great passage. Uh, Titus is left in Crete to build a work for God. And um, as your pastor, I'll say this. What I know of it, it ain't easy. And uh, here in the passage, Titus was told two things. First of all, to set in order the things that are wanting. And then to ordain elders in every city. Now, there's uh, two offices, you know this, in the New Testament church, no doubt about that. There's deacons, which are male. Amen? Deacons, which are male. <laughs> and uh, the presiding elder, the pastor, or the bishop, which is also male. And there's no female pastors. There's no female elders. There's no female deacons. Deaconess is the figment of the imagination uh, that showed up in the NIV, in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. And I don't care who has deaconesses, it's not a scriptural position. But there's no female pastors, elders, deacons, or bishops. And uh, I don't believe that deacons should change every year. You're like, well, that's funny because you don't have any. Amen. One day we will. <laughs> Amen. God's got to keep building this thing and make it a need. And uh, nor do I believe in changing the pastorship every four to five years. That's the Southern Baptist Church. You go to Southern Baptist Church and they last about four to five years. I say last, and then they pull them. You say, why? Well, you know people, you know, they get bored and they got to get new personality because the churches today are driven by personality rather than the power of God. But these are spiritual offices. Uh, they're not committee offices. Amen? 
they're not, uh, they're not officers. And uh, we won't go into great detail about that. We'll just go uh, through, through the passage. Uh, these are spiritual offices, and they have spiritual guidelines in which they both are to strive for. I'll say it again. They have spiritual guidelines that they both are to strive for. Now, you notice to be a, a part of the local church, uh, you know what you need to be? You need to be saved. A regenerated membership. Amen? And that's what distinguishes us in church history uh, that different, because uh, church history proper, it shows all through this community that uh, you have an unregenerate membership in most churches. So we say this. And, of course, you can uh, get in and you can fool me. I'm easy to fool. And you can tell me you're saved and... Everyone's, you know, someone can have a great story and they'd be lost. It's happened before, but by rule of thumb, if you're going to be a, a part of the local church, you have to be saved. Now, <clears throat> but these are spiritual guidelines in which uh, the deacons and the pastors are to strive for. And as we went through them in great detail in First Timothy chapter 3, uh, we'll go through them in Titus, not as, not as uh, in detail, but I'll tell you what, ain't no preacher can keep them all, that's for sure. <laughs> but he should try. He should strive. Amen? Uh, they're, it's, they're, it's a very spiritual office, and Titus is told by Paul here to do two things again, set in order the things wanting, and then to ordain elders. Now, uh, what Paul does next in the Scriptures, he sets forth these qualifications that you're very familiar with, as he did in 1 Timothy 3, and the qualifications uh, there to strive for. Uh, look at verse 6. The Bible says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. All right, blameless. Uh, that's in the church and outside the church. Uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 says he used to have a good report, a good report of them that are without. That doesn't mean that the lost people are supposed to love him, but they ought to respect him. And uh, if your pastor's uh, got a bad report, and he's a hoodlum, and he's a swindler, well, then he ought not be the pastor. He ought to have a good report. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I'm to make sure everyone's awake this morning. Um, then it says here, and uh, it says the husband of one wife. It's pretty simple. It says one wife. One. Not two. Not three and a half. It says one wife. Now, here's where people go off the rail. It never says that a divorce disqualifies a man from being a pastor. Now, don't throw up in your mouth. Believe the Bible. It never says that a divorce disqualifies a man from being a pastor. And uh, that's man-made fundamentalist stuff. And I know most of the brethren hate me for that, but I, I don't care. <laughs> At pushing 50, I've lost interest in what my standings are amongst the brethren. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> and get a good dose of that, you'll be all right. Now, this is where, of course, all the Baptist brethren fall apart. By the way, you should take note that while the Baptist brethren are falling apart at this place, so are all the Catholics. So are all the Catholics. The Catholics and the fundamental Baptists, they agree on this thing here. And the Baptist brethren fall apart here along with the Catholics because of their absolute obsession with sex. 
And uh, we won't go into great detail, but we'll explain what that means here in a minute. It says, uh, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. So that is, uh, that's the children being obedient to their father, not getting out of hand. And uh, as obviously, as long as a man's children are under his roof, he's supposed to make them obey. That's the right word. As long as a man's children is under his roof, he's to make them obey. Now, the moment they uh, claim the adult title and move out on their own, <laughs> you know, right? Not my party anymore. <laughs> I'll always be their dad, but it's, I'm not responsible once they're out on their own. <laughs> How could I be? <laughs> uh, the moment they move out on their own as adults, they're no longer under the responsibility of the father. I think that makes pretty good practical sense. Uh, back about at least 20 years ago, a Baptist church north of here voted out a pastor because his daughter was in town raising hell. And they used this verse to get rid of him. Um, but the daughter had been living on her own for some time, and the pastor stood against his daughter's lifestyle and actions. You say, well, what about that? I'm like, what about that? <laughs> uh, I guess the church just finally found a loophole to get rid of the guy that had been putting the sheep to sleep for so long. Uh, wasn't right the way they did it, but they did it, and that's what they'll do. If, uh, you know, church uh, off the rails, so forth, they'll find whatever reason they can, and they won't, and they just got rid of him because, well, you know, that Bible there, it says, you, you know, not unruly, not, not riotous, right? Well, she didn't live at home. But uh, you got to remember that uh, when the adult children move out, they're no longer under the care of the father. They're no longer under the care of the mother. And uh, it pays to remember that uh, we are not our children's conscience. We're their parents. you got to think about that. I'm not my children's conscience. You're my conscience, <laughs> all right? I'm not my children's conscience. I'm their parent. Amen. And how you guided them and what you showed them along the way, they've got to come to the place where they make their own decision about the Lord Jesus Christ and their own decision about serving and now you do the best you can, amen. You do all you can to raise them for God, but then what do you do as a parent? You get out of the way and you let God have them and you see what God will do with them. Amen. That was pretty harmless. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, for a bishop must be blameless. All right, blameless. It says blameless again. You see that? Blameless in the way he conducts himself in that office. That's the second time Paul said that now. And uh, it says here, as stewards, as the stewards of God. So that thing is going to have an application to two things. That thing is going to have a direct link and connection uh, to money, number one, and doctrine, number two. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll give you the uh, doctrinal. Application first, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says that pastor, he's uh, supposed to be blameless because he's supposed to be the steward of God. And a steward is responsible for some things given to him. And if you want to know why America's is in the shape it is, because its uh, pastors are terrible stewards of what God's given them. And here's the first thing. Verse 1, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ. And here it is, stewards of the mysteries of God. All right, now look at two. Moreover, it is required in stewards 
uh, that a man be found faithful. Now, that's a doctrinal thing. Those are talking about the mysteries of God, and there are seven of them. There are six of them that are Pauline, and one of them that's Johannine in nature. That means six of them by the Apostle Paul, one of them by the Apostle John. Now, those are all doctrinal. You know them. We go through them at least once a year, and uh, I believe you're very familiar with that stuff. So that's the doctrinal stewardship there. Now, look at uh, Luke 16. You know this one. The other uh, cross-referencing uh, topic here would be money. As an overseer, the pastor has to be a good steward of what God gives him and deals with him with. 16. When we came here, I hate to reference this for um, pain that others went through, but we came here, the crowd that was here at the time, uh, they were taking their pastor to court. Like a bunch of circus business is what it was. And they're like, oh, he was misappropriating the funds. And then I found out later they just wanted control. So they volleyed a bunch of accusations against the guy. And whether the guy was good, bad, or indifferent, or right, or wrong, or left, or inside out, and up, nobody knows. It's just you had a bunch of people wanting to get rid of a preacher. And they're throwing every accusation in the book. Uh, Luke 16. Uh, sheep are dangerous, man. Do you remember in school? Kids are vicious. Kids are vicious. They say the worst things in the world. Uh, and so do sheep, by the way. Look at uh, Luke 16. You got uh, 1 and 2. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. The same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. There's the connection to money. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. For thou mayest be no longer steward. I guess they renamed him. Changed the name from steward to whatever it was, but anyways, uh, that's a twofold uh, application there. He should be blameless when it deals with money and with doctrine. So that's the way he conducts himself in that office. And uh, his motive for the ministry is never money, never money. It cannot be. I'll look at 1 Peter chapter 5 real quick. A pastor's motive can never, ever be money in the ministry. <clears throat> You say, why are you preach and teach us? Because we're going through it. <laughs> Amen. We're going through it, and you need to know. And uh, yes, I know the Lord Jesus is coming soon, maybe night or noon, so, and he's coming back soon. But uh, what perchance happens, the Lord takes me out. You're going to have to get some felon here that knows what he's doing. And you got to know what the Bible says about it. Amen. Amen. 1 Peter 5, 2. Can't be money. The Bible says feed the flock of God. That's the number one thing a pastor is supposed to do. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for, there it is, filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Um, when people are looking for a preacher, I see it all over the place, some of these ads. Uh, they have a salary package with the wrong reason to be a pastor. If you have to include a salary package with that, he said, well, it's America. I you know it's America, but uh, look, us preachers, we're not for hire. And every preacher in this county and every preacher in this country ought to get a good dose of Naboth's disease, amen, or refuse to sell out. But a bishop must be blameless. If a man's motive in preaching is money, as the old preacher said, he can't afford to preach uh, because his money, what it'll end up doing, it'll mess up his message. <laughs> It'll close it right down, and you got to watch out for that. And then it says here, 
Uh, it says, not self-willed. Titus 1.7, not self-willed. Now, you know, the, the fact of the matter is most preachers, and I'm being ambiguous, but I'm being truthful, most preachers are either dictators or tyrants. Amen? So a pastor should not be a dictator. He should not be a tyrant. But he better make sure no one else is being a dictator either. Uh, that's my number one job title, feed the flock and uh, make sure no one else is being a dictator. That's my job. <laughs> and then it says here uh, in verse 7, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. There comes that money thing again. That thing keeps popping up and keeps popping up. Look at verse 8. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. All right, so if you're going to be a lover of hospitality, well, I guess you've got to be kind. <laughs> Amen? Now, this is, uh, this is probably one of the most abused things, one of the number of abused things of these days uh, in the ministry. I know some preachers, man, their mood changes like the weather. Amen? Changes like their socks. One day you call them and they act like they're on acid. And the next day you call them, they're all surly and grouchy and wanting to climb down your throat. Well, that ought not be. You ought to be hospitable. Amen? You ought to be kind. You think you'd, uh, you set that kind of precedent as a pastor, you ain't got nobody going to call you, man. You know, part of the ministry is just putting up with everyone's stuff, being forbearing. And if you don't have a, you don't have a decent amount of decency in you, your sheep are going to go somewhere else to get help. <laughs> uh, pastor, what? <laughs> oh, never mind. I'm okay, really. <laughs> Talk to you later. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> but uh, hospitable. And uh, then it says here in verse 8, sober, just, holy, and temperate. You see that? All right, now look at verse 9. One of the most important qualifications in a pastor, if there ever was one. And this one gets thrown out. This is still a qualification. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, ain't that something? That's a qualification. I often forget about that. Uh, that's a qualification that our Baptist brethren around these parts have forgotten about. You say, what are you? Uh, are you just negative? Are you critical? Uh, you can call me what I'm a dissenter, right? I am a dissenter. That means I don't believe everyone's on the right track. You say, you think you're the only one doing right? And I never said that. But I can give you 12 examples in about two minutes. Holding fast the faithful word. Now, we went over just a quick lesson last week about back to the Bible, how you can just simply tell from King James Bible what kind of Bible you need. You need one that comes from Alexandria, or do you need one that comes from Antioch? And I think the evidence was astoundingly clear. You need one from Antioch. But that's not what your Baptist brethren in this town think. You say, well, I know one or two. I know one or two, too. Or three or four. <laughs> Amen. But the majority of people, you know where they go? They go right to Alexandria for their Bible. And that book's not faithful. It's fifty to 60,000 things taken out. So you're supposed to hold fast the faithful word. And this is one of the greatest things in the world you and I are to hold on to. Uh, you realize your life is about this book? 
it's not about your family. It's not about your career. It's not about all your dreams and purposes and goals. Your life, if you're a Christian, is about this book. I will admit that most Christians don't understand that and they don't go after it and they don't think it like that, but that's really what your life's about. It'll come later. The Lord will put you in a place where you have to realize that your life is about the book. Amen. And you are here because of a book, and it's always about the book. So that's the qualification, probably one of the most important qualifications. And the reason we're to hold fast in verse 9 is why? Well, it's because others have corrected it, right? I'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There's a good deal of correcting going on in this county and in this country, and there's a good deal of messing around with this book even back in Paul's days. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 2, 17. Now, don't you find it interesting here? Let's read verse 17. You know the verse, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So back at A.D. 58, there's people messing with the book. Ain't that something? Uh, look at, uh, what is it, uh, 2 Corinthians 4. 4.2. 4, 2. 4 2, Paul says... Uh, that's not what I want. Yeah, it is. Yep. Uh, 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, seeing we've received this ministry, as we received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Well, those are two verses in your King James Bible you ought to mark. There's a lot of handling the word of God deceitfully going on. And there's a lot of corrupting of the word going on. And it's just, uh, it's the status quo of the Baptist today. And you got to stay away from that stuff. But that's a qualification of the pastor. He's supposed to hold fast the faithful word. Let me tell you what, uh, by God's grace alone, there will never be a preacher in this pulpit that does not believe that this King James Bible is the word of God. Now, once I'm out of here, then you all have to take it and run with it. But as far as God, God's grace and God's mercy and God allows me to breathe the air, by His grace, there'll never be anyone in this pulpit that'll believe that book from cover to cover, including the cover. And you ever listen to someone and he's shallow on the book and he's shaky on the book, you're going to get rotten doctrine. Amen. You're not going to get the right stuff. <clears throat> All right? Now, we're not talking about personality. Uh, I don't care how the guy preaches. I don't care if he's lively. I don't care if he's boring. But if he's preaching the truth and he's standing on that book, the Lord will bless it. Amen. But if he's wishy-washy on the book and, well, you know, over here the Greek says this, and I'll tell you really the, a better translation is going to be the Hebrew and it's really the, the Masoretic Hebrew. And then, well, you know, the just no. You got bad stuff. You got to hold fast the faithful word. All right, verse 10. Uh, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. All right, so uh, because we're supposed to hang on to that book because there's others out there right now that want to deceive the sheep. That's it. There's others out there right now, you just read it in that verse, that want to deceive the sheep. Many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. I look at verse 11. Look what he says. Whose mouths must be put on Facebook? <laughs> right? 
Uh, whose mouths must get their own YouTube channel? <laughs> whose mouths must be stopped? Uh, by the way, don't get too upset at Facebook and YouTube. It's, uh, it's the exhaust pipes of hell. So when you see bad stuff on there, that's, that's why you see that. Amen. It's the exhaust pipes of hell. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So there it is. That money thing pops up again. Now look back to verse 9 again. Notice it says that he may be able by sound doctrine to both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You say, what the fire is a gainsayer? Well, a gainsayer is one who contradicts or denies what is true. A gainsayer is someone who contradicts or denies that which is true. I've had uh, gainsayers leave the church because they don't believe in rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, they'll say this, well, we believe it, but we're not hyper, and you're a hyper. Okay, whatever, help yourself. They don't believe in right division. I've had gainsayers leave because of sharp preaching. I've had gainsayers leave because of doctrinal issues that they refuse to tell me about. And then you ask them what the doctrinal issue is. They're like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, well, great. Help yourself, you know. I wish you the best. That, the, by the way, uh, if you want to know what I tell people as they exit, it's never a rebuke. It's I wish you the best. You say, why? Because I do. I've never received any joy in anyone leaving this church. Now, look. There might have been some pressure relieved when they left, amen. But I have never gone, yes! <laughs> I'm like, I wish you the best. Shed a lot of tears, man. They're God's sheep. They're not mine. <laughs> that gainsayers leave because uh, they thought I was too rough on other men's religions. But you got to remember that a gainsayer is not someone who's necessarily after for money, although their motive might be money. A gainsayer is one who contradicts or denies what is true, all right? And that pastor, the qualification of that pastor, he's got to be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. It's not, it's something just to preach them. You can preach, you're pretty good at preaching, running his yap and exhorting anybody, but then he's got to be able to take that book and through some wisdom and through some skill, he's got to be able to convince them that the way they're going is wrong. You see that? And Titus is getting some trouble from the Cretans because, why? Verse 10, they're unruly and they're vain talkers. You see that? It's in every church. Every church has people that are just like a little Johnson 50. We're at Evan Rude, you know. Just, you know, just sowing discord here and over here, you know, yep, 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 and all that stuff. And if you're a Sesame Street, it's a couple uh-huh's there and there too, but anyways. Uh, but uh, look at First Timothy chapter 1, show you this. Unruly and vain talkers. What happens somewhere along the, the line, uh, they swerve. They swerve in doctrine, they swerve in character, uh, they, they swerve off the path. And listen, you know the greatest path to follow? It's the path of this book and the path of the local church. Why? Because we're onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. Let me tell you what, when you go through the woods or you go through four feet of snow, it's always good to run in the tracks of someone else that has been in front of you. You want to blaze your own path? Okay, but you don't need to. All right, 1 Timothy 1.6. 
You see that verse? That's a great cross-reference here. Uh, some people swerved aside to vain jangling. Reminds me of that dumb song, Mr. Bojangles there. That's it. That's where they got it from. 1 Timothy 1.6, the Bible says, from which some... Uh, we'll go back to verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. You've got to get that first in verse 5. The more you grow in Jesus Christ, uh, you get the end of the commandment's charity. You see, that? that's a love that, that's mature. That's a mature love. That's a giving love. Uh, that's a do donation type of love. Out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, six, from which some having swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling. You know what you got to be careful of? You got to be careful of what you say to people in church. You might knock them off the path. You don't know where they're at. You don't know what kind of conscience they got. You see what I mean? And they swerve. They take the bait. They take the bait. The, the devil's out there jiggling, jiggling, <laughs> jigging in about 20 feet of shallow water. And some uh, Christian that's got a burner saddle will grab that thing and they swerve. And the devil's got them. You see that? But they're vain janglers. And here in verse 10 in Titus chapter 1, they're vain talkers. They're vain talkers. And what happens if you uh, write this down in Matthew 12, 35, what happened is their heart got polluted. Their heart got polluted. So they're vain janglers. They're vain talkers in verse 10. Their heart got polluted. And that great reference is as Matthew 12, 35. And finally, look at 1 Timothy 4. You're right there. 1 Timothy 4. This is what happens. In 1 and 2, something happens to their conscience. Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Here it is, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now you've got to be careful. If you get off the path doctrinally, if you get out of sorts with the Lord, you get out of sorts with the brethren, you'll end up searing your own conscience. That's a bad thing. And uh, these uh, people here back in Titus 1.10, the unruly and vain talkers, uh, their heart was polluted. They, got, they swerved aside there in 1 Timothy 1.6. Heart was polluted and then uh, their conscience was seared. And what happened is their faith gave out. Still say, but their faith gave out. They're like, what's it worth? Uh, it gave out to vain jangling and vain talking like the rattling of a chain, just a bunch of noise, a bunch of noise. Uh, you know, I saw a lot of this go on right around, uh, right around the election, COVID. Just enough political baloney and just enough, uh, well, COVID was a bunch of political baloney too, uh, besides the actual uh, dropping like flies of thousands of people. So all the people that want to say it wasn't, uh, it was a hoax, well, you're an idiot. But anyways, people are dropping like flies. And what that created was just enough jangle for a bunch of Christians to get all jacked up and off the frame and off the rails, and they swerved. Like, oh, we gotta, we got to start stockpiling. What are you going to stockpile? I'm like, if it's me, I'm stockpiling donuts. Well, they won't last long. Well, neither will I. That's why we're eating donuts. Why would you want to eat healthy? You think you're going to go out here in this Iosco County wilderness, and you're going to fortify yourself against the... No, I'm like donuts. Donuts, McDonald's, and the rest. We'll live like kings for three days, and then you're dead. 
And if the government don't get you, the heart attack will, amen? <laughs> uh, but their faith gave out. And the ministry, listen now, is full of vain talkers. You have to watch out for that. You say, why? Well, because their motive's not right. The motive, uh, their motive is teaching. Listen now. Their motive turns out to be teaching and not preaching. The motive turns into teaching and not preaching. And they're trying to teach you something that is not right. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 5. 1 Timothy 6, verse 5. The Bible says here in verse 5, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. I don't know how many years back it was. It was, I don't know, six or seven, five, five to seven years ago. Church down the road right here. They booted the guy out. He was a King James guy. And they booted him out because he wasn't growing the business. Now there's a bunch of mammas and papas going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and God's going to say, you did what? Well, you conceited little brat. The job of a church is not to, to it's, the job of a preacher is not to grow a church. The job of a preacher is to feed sheep. My goodness, throwing a guy out because he wouldn't grow the business. That ain't a church. That's a stinking organization. That's a business. Man, I've been in that stuff. I've been in that jazz. Oh, great job last year, Jeremy. Here's your new plan. It's increased by 20%, but here's your new plan. Make sure you hit it. And if you don't, you're working Saturday. <laughs> That's how churches run. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and then I had to tell everybody working for you, oh, here's your new plan. Great job last year. Let's go ahead and hit your plan. Oh, that's insane. I agree with you. And by the way, if you don't hit your plan, you're working set. That's churches these days. And their motive was money. Their motive is teaching, not preaching. Look at verse 10, same chapter. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You can take those who swerve, the vain janglers, the vain talkers, the people that are so in discord, you trace that thing back, it always, always, always goes back to either morals or money. All right? Their motive is money. You say, all right, what you going to do about it, preacher? Verse 11, here we go. Titus 1.11. Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert, hang on to that word for later, whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So you got to shut them up. <laughs> you got you to stop their mouths. And the preaching has to do it. The preaching has to shut them up. And if the preaching won't shut their mouths, then they got to go. Amen. Look at Proverbs chapter 22. We're doing all right this morning. Just preaching simple Bible doctrine. Now, would you agree when you, uh, when you were born, now you didn't know anything about it, but you were born in the dark, amen. <laughs> you were born in the dark, but it wasn't dark, but it wasn't last night. But it took you about 20 years to grow up, didn't it? I was uh, 20, about 20, and I remember waking up. <laughs> I remember waking up at 20. I remember at college, you know, thinking I had the world by the tail, and I'm getting ready to graduate with my degree in criminal justice, man. It was exciting times, right? I woke up one morning, and literally, it's like I had an epiphany. You say, what epiphany was that? Mom and dad were smart. 
and I'd never really, I mean, I'd give them lip service and, oh, you're the best and you're so wonderful and thank you and uh, I couldn't do it without you. But I'm telling you what, the growing up stage, right about 20, it started to kick in. The man, you know what, dad wasn't as big a hypocrite as you think he was and mom wasn't as mean as you thought she was and now I missed him. You say, what is that? It's growing up. <laughs> and I called probably, you know, you say, well, it never happened to me. Well, help yourself. You're better than I am. But I called, and I'm blubbering and blabbering and telling them how much I appreciate them and sorry for being a pinhead that I am. And they're like, well, whatever, whatever you're drinking, keep drinking it. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's Florida water down there. But you got to grow up. And, you know, when you get under Bible preaching, it's the same thing. You're not going to get it all the first couple years, are you? It takes 20 years to make a man, and it takes another 20 to make the message. So it takes a long time sitting under Bible preaching to grow. It takes a long time for all the, the bad to come out and the right stuff to go in. It takes years. Think about it from a therapeutic, that's, I don't know if that's a word, a, a, a therapeutic uh, view of the thing. You have to unload everything that's on your wagon before you can put the right stuff on, Right? That takes time. You're not going to do it just a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. It's just going to take year after year after year, and the Lord just working in you. But notice here in Proverbs 22, verse 10, the Bible says, shake hands with everyone you disagree with, and contention shall go out, right? Is that what that says? Now, I wasn't pro I'll read the right thing in a minute for those who are turning there. Wasn't Solomon the wisest man on the earth next to Jesus Christ? And what does he say? Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Amen? You ever work with someone who's just a pinhead, and they finally drop kick him? And isn't it nice in the workplace? Like, whew, why didn't we do that long ago? Well, you didn't have the right documentation, right? <laughs> but you cast out the scorner, contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. All right, you preach it out, or you kick it out. And I've only, in the entire ministry here, I've only had to kick out two perverts. Everyone else, they, they didn't want to be here, so they left. I only had to, I had to ask two guys not to come back because they were, well, they were pedophiles. I didn't know it. You're welcome, you're welcome. I had that conversation, which is uncomfortable. And when I approached them on it, they're like, oh, I didn't do it. Okay, well, that's why you got to go then. Because your record says you did. The law is not going to waste all that money putting you in prison, right? So unless you bring me uh, your, uh, your parameters of who you can't be around, you can't come here. And they never come back. Now look and notice in Titus 1.11, it says, Who subvert whole houses. That's subvert, that's to overthrow. The idea is to put down somebody. I look at verse 11, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. Again, subvert. You see it? That means to go under. You say how so? Sub, sub, subterranean, subliminal. How about submarine? Now do you get it? That means to go under. Uh, so they're not seen. So these individuals are not seen. They go undetected. Uh, undetected and boy, I've seen that in the ministry. You're clicking along and you think things are all right and all of a sudden something's going on underneath somewhere else. You see that? It's subliminal, Ooh, you know? and all of a sudden it surfaces like the hunt for red October, and there it is. You're like, wow, and uh, they subvert whole households, and now look at verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, 
evil beasts, slow bellies. Now watch. Those who subvert, verse 11, are liars. You see that? Those who subvert and are going under, just, you know, just all this, they're liars. They're wicked, amen, and they're lazy. That's what Paul says about the Cretans who are subverting whole houses. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 3 real quick. Those who go under instead of doing the right thing and coming right to the source, they're liars. Now, this ought to, ought to take comfort in Bible doctrine. Philippians 3, look at verse 18. Bible says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. Paul wasn't excited. He wasn't happy about it. He's weeping about it. That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Back to Titus. Titus 12. Just about done here. <clears throat> Verse 12, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. So those individuals that are subverting, going under, and uh, causing the dissemination and discord, they're a bunch of wicked, lazy liars. Now notice in verse 13 what Paul says, and we're done. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Now Paul is referencing Christians, not the lost. You've got to get that. He's referencing Christians. And this rebuke isn't to repent or to get right. But this rebuke is to be given sharply that they may be sound in the faith. You see why you need rebuke, Christian? You don't need, see, people say, well, I just don't think you should preach like that because I haven't done anything wrong. Why is your conscience so shot then? You've got to realize that what keeps you sharp and what keeps you solid, we're done, and what keeps you towing the straight and narrow a lot of times is a sharp rebuke. And you know what? The sharper, the better sometimes. Amen. We'll stop right there.